Hello and welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Today, we're starting a brand new series. Stay tuned. officially hit fall. Pumpkin spice lattes have been here for a month, which feels like long enough, right? So it is now time to focus on, you guessed it, Christmas. Well, I have said it many times. I'll say it one more time. I don't think it's fair that our neighbors to the south get to set up Christmas right after their Thanksgiving, and we don't. I'm sort of joking, but today does mark a momentous occasion because it is the beginning of our Christmas series. Let that sink in. I know it feels a little bit early, but if Costco and Hallmark can set up Christmas in August, we can start a Christmas series in October. Well, there is a bigger reason as to why we're starting our Christmas series in October, which feels perhaps a little bit early, but stick with me. There's this disturbing trend happening in modern Christianity where we have taken the Old Testament and we've either relegated it to like folklore status or even if we kind of want to hold the validity of it, we have treated it as a lesser truth than those that are found in the New Testament. And this is dangerous territory. The whole Bible, All scripture, as we're told in 2 Timothy 3.16, is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, showing mistakes, correcting, and training in righteousness. The entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. So it's been on our heart for quite a while to walk through the Old Testament and to walk in the richness of it. Because what the Old Testament does so beautifully is it sets Uh, the stage for the coming of Jesus. It builds within us this uh, like progression of history, this growing anguish, this growing need for the Messiah or for a savior to come. The entirety of the Old Testament is setting forward a path for the coming Messiah, Jesus. And it does this beautiful job of showing us the character of God that is then validated and made real in the life of Jesus. And who God chooses to pave this path of the coming Messiah with is absolutely fascinating. The ancestry of Jesus is full of faith and it's full of doubt. It's full of victory and it's full of defeat. The ancestry of Jesus is absolutely beautiful in the rawness and imperfections we find there, which if you think of it, is perfect for a story of redemption and restoration. And so this morning, we get to begin diving into the ancestry of Jesus, walking through the Old Testament with Noah. Let's pray. So God, I thank you so much for your heart and that this entire Word of God, all scripture is useful and inspired by you. And so as we dive in this morning, as we begin this new series of looking at who you chose to set up as your ancestry, to set up 
to pave the way for you, Jesus, to come. Would you um, just attune our hearts to yours? Would you show us the richness that you are the unchanging one? And in the lives of these people as we walk through them and in the life of Noah, would you show us your heart and your character? This morning, God, I pray that you would make us good soil, that you would help us to have ears that would hear your voice and eyes that would see you through this moment in history. So as always, Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, would you speak? Would you allow my own words just to fade away? We want to hear you in your precious name. Amen. Well, allow me to set the scene because the narrative of Noah happens very early on in human history. So Adam and Eve have been created in the image of God, and they've walked in perfect relationship with him. But they gave into temptation in the Garden of Eden to be like God and to doubt what God himself had said to them. And in that moment, when they disobeyed God, when they chose to believe themselves and the lies over the voice of God, sin entered the world. And what sin did is it separated humanity from God. This relationship that they had, they could no longer have because God is perfect. And his divine righteousness, his divine perfection requires, it demands righteousness in return. And because of that sin nature that was awakened in them in that act of disobedience, they no longer had that. And from this moment on, we have all been made incapable of righteousness, incapable of perfection. None of us has a chance to be perfect. And that means that none of us has a chance of standing in relationship with God. Now for Adam and Eve to remain in the Garden of Eden would ensure their separation from God. There were two trees in the Garden of Evil. Well, there were many, but there were two important ones. The, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is what they ate. And in that moment, they were aware of both good and evil, that sin nature within them was awakened, but also the tree of life. And if they had eaten from the tree of life, that moment would be made permanent. There would be no opportunity for redemption or restoration or for God to repair what had been broken in this moment. And so in this beautiful act of mercy, God banishes them from the Garden of Eden. And in this moment, as he's doing this, he makes this declaration to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God's revealing for the first time his plan for redemption that is set in motion right here. At the very moment when relationship is broken, the plan for restoration is also announced. The plan is that Jesus is going to deliver this death strike, this crushing blow to Satan and the sin that he introduced to humanity. So Adam and Eve leave the garden and it doesn't take long for us to showcase how far the sin nature in us actually brings us toward depravity and devastation. It takes the first two boys born of Adam and Eve. This is not a slow decline. This is an immediate awareness of where the sin within us will bring us if it's left unhindered and unchecked, if we surrender to it immediately. We see Cain and Abel, where brother kills brother out of pride and anger. 
immediately we see the extent that sin is willing to bring us if we surrender to it. And that's the war within each of us to choose the way of life, which is the way that God designed us to live, the way that we as humanity are meant to live, where we can thrive within it, or to choose the way of death, to choose a life that's surrendered to ourselves at all costs and despite any consequences. And the descendants of Adam, as we go further out, and the descendants of Cain grow and they spread. And we see that they choose the latter. They choose to surrender to themselves. They choose the way of death. They choose what's best for them alone, singularly, without fail and without consideration for anyone else. They choose the way of death, lives surrendered to themselves at all costs. Genesis 6 verses 5 to 8 show us this. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Every inclination was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe the face of the earth uh, from the face of the earth, the human race that I have created and with them, the animals, the birds and the creatures that move along the earth. For I regret that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is a moment that is heart-wrenching. When God looks at his creation and he determines that it would be better to begin anew, that he wishes they weren't there in the first place because they are so depraved and so sinful and they're acting in such horrendous ways to each other without any consideration for anyone but themselves. And the act of just simply watching them breaks his heart to such anguish that he wishes they never were. It's a determination that humanity had hardened their hearts to the point that they aren't willing to surrender, that they'll fight against being redeemed. And the long-term cost of humanity separated from God if they were just allowed to continue to procreate, if they were just allowed to continue this widespread destruction and disregard of one another, that the long-term cost of that, of willingly embracing the eternal consequences of their sin, of their separation from God, is not something that his heart could endure. The justice of God is going to require each of us to answer for our sin. God is just. Isaiah 51, 6 tells us the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. And if I'm really honest, that's something that I struggle with personally. I struggle with the justice of God. It's so much easier for me to believe that God has just given us this list of suggestions that he uh, like strongly encourages us to live by, but that he's infinitely gracious and doesn't actually hold us to account for our offenses of him. But that's not true. That's contradictory to his character. God is merciful, absolutely, but he's also just. He is righteous and gracious. He's perfect in both simultaneously. And the righteousness 
and the justice of God demanded satisfaction. Psalm 11 tells us that the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. The upright will see his face. And the justice of God weighed humanity. God who sees to the heart and the motives of all of us weighed humanity and found only a single man, a single family who sought to live in a way surrendered to God. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And so God quickens the judgment that was always coming because there will be a judgment for all of us. We too will stand before Jesus as our judge and will have to give an account for our life. We will have to atone for the sin that we have committed against each other, against ourselves and against God. The justice of God demands satisfaction. There's no escaping that moment. And so God quickens the judgment that was always coming and he weighs his creation. And he requires in this moment the atonement for the wrongs that they have committed. But as God searches for the heart of humanity, he finds this one man, Noah, righteous and blameless, who walked faithfully with his God. And he tasks this man with starting over. And he gives him these instructions to build this ark. And it's absolutely incredible in its architecture and its design. And I think this is where we really see the mercy of God in display in this moment. You see, most theologians would say that to take four men, maybe if the wives helped eight people at most and have them build something this size with no modern technology or power tools would likely take somewhere between 55 and 75 years. 55 to 75 years. Not to mention, animals would have just begun appearing at random to come and, and find their salvation in this ark. The large quantities of food that Noah would have to purchase or grow in order to feed them all. And then just the fact that there's this massive boat sitting in the middle of a valley or, or maybe on the outskirts of town. This would be a thing of wonder. And so for 55 to 75 years, there should have been some natural curiosity about what was going on here. 55 to 75 years of answering questions. 55 to 75 years of wondering. 55 to 75 years of chances. 55 to 75 years of warning. We see God wait. And then even at the end, he waits some more. When he says to Noah upon the completion of the ark, seven days from now, seven more days I'll wait. I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. The mercy of God was on full display at the same time as his justice. The heart of God was that humanity would see this warning and they'd hear the voice of God and they would repent and they would turn away from their sin and they would choose to follow him. Instead, they'd turn away from evil and they'd walk towards righteousness and still God's justice couldn't sit by and watch his creation destroy his creation. He couldn't sit by and watch our depravity and our wickedness harm one another. But he still waited. In 1 Peter 3.20, 
We see this again echoed in the New Testament to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently. In the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. We know that God waited, allowing a final chance for repentance, and we know that this is his heart because we've seen it throughout scripture. We saw him relent in Nineveh. When the message of destruction reached the Ninevites, they chose to turn toward God in humility. We see this in Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And so we each have to decide which way that we're gonna turn. Will we turn to the way of life, our lives surrendered to the design of God meant to be where we could thrive within a way of righteousness, a way that follows closely after him? Or will we turn to the way of death, our lives surrendered to ourselves at all costs, despite all consequences? God is both merciful and just. His justice demands atonement for our sin. His mercy, his mercy sent Jesus. We read 1 Peter 3, 20 just a moment ago to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. We are saved through grace and repentance. God has not changed. God is the same. He still weighs the heart and soul of every person. God is the same. He desires today that we would turn to him in repentance and in submission. God is the same today. That God of justice and that God of mercy is still the same. And so we have been offered a choice by a God who requires and demands justice and atonement be satisfied. We have been offered a choice for the ways that we've wronged him and the ways that we've wronged each other. The Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. That because we still continue to turn to ourselves, because we still continue to harm each other, harm ourselves, hurt the heart of God, that we have to come and we have to pay the consequence of that. The wages of sin is death, a separation forever from God. But do you remember way back in Genesis 3, the one who would crush the head of the serpent the one who would put an end to the devastation of sin, that fulfillment of Genesis 3 is Jesus. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. His death on the cross atones for our sin. His death on the cross satisfies the justice of God. His death on the cross is the ultimate display of mercy. Justice and mercy perfectly both in the person of Jesus. God made a covenant with Noah 
that he would begin anew. That as Noah followed closely after the heart of God, that he would pass that heritage of faith down through his descendants. And in turn, God would save him and his line through the ark. In Genesis 6, 18, we see this covenant, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. His judgment would be deferred. He would never again judge in that moment. He would defer his judgment, allowing humanity and the free choice that we're all given, the free will to choose relationship with him, to choose acceptance of his gift of salvation. And God still offers us redemption. He offers us that he will pay the price for our sin. He offers us pardon that we didn't earn, that we don't deserve. And now he offers us a covenant as well. In Matthew 26, 28, Jesus says, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In his grace, Jesus, fully God, came to pay the price that God's justice demanded, that his own, because Jesus is God, that his own justice demanded. That in his grace, he made a way for us to encounter God, not as our judge, but as our savior. In his grace, he took our place. So the justice of God would be satisfied, but we would not be destroyed. In his grace, he took our place. So that under this new covenant, we wouldn't stand before Jesus one day who will judge every person. And we stand before him, we won't stand before him as debtors who now finally have to pay the consequence but we'll stand before him as children adopted and saved. We're gonna each stand before a just God. That day is coming, but we have the opportunity now to choose where we turn. Like Noah, we've been given the option to walk faithfully with God, putting our security in him for salvation and grace. But we've also been given the free will to choose ourselves to choose to ignore grace, to choose to defer justice and live for ourselves, knowing that that day will come, atonement must be made. And in doing so, we just basically choose to remain ignorant. In Luke 17, Jesus is talking about this coming day of judgment, this coming day that every person who has ever lived will stand before Jesus as the just judge. And he says this in verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the son of man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It'll be just like this on the day the son of man is revealed. Where will we turn? We can get so busy just living life that we put off that point of decision. That we just choose to remain ignorant of the fact that redemption and salvation and grace is waiting. It's right here. It's free for today. 
Don't let that moment sneak up on you. Well, we have the privilege today of taking communion together. It's something that we do on the first Sunday of every month. And so we try to line that up with our streams to make sure that we do that together here as well. And this moment of communion is one of walking in obedience to remember this, the justice and the mercy of God. In the evangel, we believe that if you've accepted that forgiveness, that if you've accepted that grace, if you've um, allowed Jesus to trade, to take your place, to pay the consequences of your sin, if you put your faith in him, that whether you call Evangel home or you're just joining us as a guest on this stream, that we would love to have you participate with us. Communion is something that the full family of God has been called to do, not just our little church family. But this moment of communion, it's one that requires a decision. It requires us to decide who will we serve? Will we choose the way of life? Will we surrender to God and walk faithfully after him? Choose to pattern our lives in the way that we've been designed to pattern them in a way in which we can thrive, which is the instruction of God? Or will we choose the way of death, surrendering to ourselves at all costs, despite all consequences? This moment requires a decision. Who will you serve? If you're exploring this faith, if you're exploring faith this morning with us right here, I'm so glad that you're here. I really am. But because I know the grace of God, I know that his heart is one of invitation for you. That his heart is one of grace and mercy and love that beckons you, that invites you to a place of decision to choose him, to choose to be redeemed and saved through him. I believe that God wants to take the place that his justice demands, that through the cross, he already paid the price and he's just waiting to forgive you and wash you clean so that when you stand before him as your just judge, you get to do so. Not in a place where you have to tremble in fear, but one of adoption, one of being chosen and redeemed through him. I believe that God wants to invite you to walk in freedom and righteousness this morning. If you'll choose him, if you'll choose to surrender, allowing him to take that place and set your fat feet on a new path. This moment requires a decision. And the sobering reality is the war within us doesn't end the moment we choose Jesus. I wish it did. I wish it was just a switch that would just get flicked on for righteousness and off for our sin nature. It doesn't work like that. My sin nature to choose myself at all costs, despite all circumstances, that is always there, beckoning me towards that which I know will harm me and others in the heart of God. Our sin nature doesn't turn off the moment we put our faith in God. And so we have to stand before him this morning and make a decision. Who will I serve? It's a return to the cross 
It's a taking stock of what the outflow of my life actually says I serve. Do my words and my actions line up with what I believe? Who will I serve? See, in 1 Corinthians 11, we're told everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread, which we're gonna do in a moment, and drink of the cup, which we're also gonna do in a moment. We have to take stock, we have to come back to this point of decision. Who am I gonna to choose to serve? Where am I gonna put my trust? Am I gonna put my trust in Jesus, who has offered to hide me within the safety of his relationship, just like Noah and his family hid within the safety of the ark? Will I allow his grace and his sacrifice to appease the justice of God? Will I surrender? Will I live in a way that faithfully walks with God? Can I just ask you, even if you have to pause this video, would you just take a moment? And would you allow, just in silence, God to search your heart? I believe that God is so faithful and he's so gentle with us. But just as he looked at humanity and his heart broke as he saw the way that sin was destroying them. I believe God looks at us and his heart breaks when he sees the way sin destroys us and he loves us too much to allow us to continue in that pattern. And so in such gentleness and kindness, the Holy Spirit points out our sin, not to shame us, but to bring healing and freedom of it. So as we just prepare to enter into this moment where we will eat the bread and drink the cup, let's do so as those who've chosen, who've made a decision once again, who have asked God to search us and know us and to reveal the wicked ways within us that are always warring for prominence. In 1 Corinthians 11, just a few verses ahead of the one we just read, in verse 23, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord, but I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup together. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Jesus, I thank you that you came to redeem us, that you are our savior, and that our relationship with you hides us in the safety and security of grace. I thank you that you are also just, for your character is perfect. And so today, would you help us to decide who we will serve? Would you reveal the sin within us that is out to destroy us? Would you help us to find the hope and the freedom and the life that 
comes when we surrender to your ways. We love you in your precious name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, friends. I pray that God would just show you his heart of grace and love for you this week as you go about your day-to-day -day life.